Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com acast, and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com acast. Hello and welcome to episode 27 of The Front 3. My name is Adam Boltwood and joining me as always is the one and only Lawrence McKenna. That's me. I'm in my bedroom. You're indoors. What's going on? Yeah, I know, right? I should have I should go cars. for little walks. Yeah. I might, I might go down outside. Brick Lane. Yeah, nice. Uh, Dave as well. Dave O'Brien, the stat man himself, is here. Hello, guys. How's it going today? It's going pretty well. What's this week, Dave? It's going well. Well, the start of... The day is probably I had two fried eggs for dinner with chips, which is a cracking northern meal. If you've never tried it before, listeners that? out there, go and get yourself some egg and chips. It's two eggs, and chips. Two eggs, isn't it? <laughs> well, the actual stat of the week is one matter was directly involved, has been oh, directly involved in 50% of Man United's goals go. in the Premier League this season. Wow. I think that's, yeah. what, that's what Dave was trying to buy himself time to search. He went, oh, I've had eggs. <laughs> and we were like, Dave, that's not... And then he's like, oh, I don't have eggs anymore. <laughs> I think the only stat that matters is the first time the Netherlands have failed to qualify for a major tournament since 2002. Dave, the Netherlands have failed to qualify for the Euros. Free to defeat to the Czech Republic, a spectacular own goal from Robin van Persie. It's, it's it's quite a fall from grace from going what what was it 18 months ago, third place in the World Cup finals to not qualifying for the Euros. What has gone wrong, Dave? I think it's a mismanagement of their their team. You know the formation and there's been so many issues. Obviously, um, what was his name? Sorry, guys. What was his name? Yes, yes, Gus Hiddink was manager and was supposedly going to take the team to mm. new places. But you know, well. he he kept the likes of Wesley Schneider in the squad. You know, Robert mm. Van Persie. You know, Klaus Jan Huntelaar. I think that the Netherlands have to move on. You know, player like Bastos that's been absolutely lighting up the Bundesliga for the last two seasons. Not really being a starter potentially is an issue. You know, got players like El Ghazari and. Um, you know, Van Dyke that plays for Southampton. You've got a number of young players there um, that haven't really had enough in qualification. And now they've been chucked in in the last game against the Czech Republic and obviously the Netherlands have been beaten. It's very, very disappointing. The fans are always brilliant. The Dutch fans, you know, we're going to miss the orange. So it's, it's a shame. It's a massive shame, but it's well-deserved. Well-deserved for Netherlands. They, they do deserve to not be there. As uh, Dave said there, Lawrence, it, it was Goose Hiddink who came in, but he's he's been replaced by Danny Blint father of uh, Daily Bid. People are saying the job is almost too big for him. He was the assistant to Goose Hiddink uh, and he, he did sort of take on the role, but it seems to have overwhelmed him somewhat 
Yeah. Or is that um, uh, I don't know if it's unfair. I mean, you look at the result. I think it's somewhat overwhelmed the squad who maybe missed the influence of um, previous people. Uh, they they lost. They've lost some pretty ridiculous games. I mean, you know, they've lost along the way to Czech Republic. Uh, they've obviously lost to Iceland as well. Um, they've had some, you know, a couple of wins. Obviously, they had points, which meant that they could have almost taken it. Obviously, they thrashed Latvia along the way. They also beat Spain not long ago um, in 2015. Uh, I think it was five months. Was it five months ago? Was it May or was it April? Might have been March, actually. Mm. Um, and then, you know, they they lost to other people in June. And I just think that they had a long run of times where they just didn't look like uh, the the Netherlands side that we want to see. I think what we were seeing was a lot of people who were pulling in different directions. And at one point they had a manager who was very good at channeling all of that and sort of saying, look, this is the direction we're going in. I don't care which direction you think you're going in, but we're all doing this. And it worked. Um, and what they have was a manager who maybe with a squad with no ego would have done much better. But this squad has a lot of egos in it. And the irony is yeah. that obviously one of the hugest egos in all of it, allegedly, um, ended up basically scoring their own goal, which at least put them a little further to going out. Because a, a one, if they're drawn two all, they still would have gone out. They needed, well, Turkey, they Turkey needed, won, didn't they? Exactly. So whatever result they got, they still would have gone out. And that's still not good enough because you look at their group and you think, you know, that there's difficulties in there and, you know, they, they face some challenges, but it's still not good enough. The result is Dave, not good enough. Dave, I mean, you were sort of alluding to it there when you're talking about the, the sort of the older players that perhaps should have been phased out. There has been talk of this sort of this missing generation almost you've got the players like Wesley Snyder Van Persie you've got those youngsters you were saying there like Depay and um, you know Wijnaldum but is, is it just that this Dutch team is almost in transition and perhaps Danny Blind wasn't the man to well, force Robin. that transition upon them well yeah I think the transition was before the World Cup um, because Van Hal changed the system and played a very resolute style of football he's kind of killed the transition you know we always expect Holland to play a 4-3-3 you know, classic attacking football, but they didn't do that at the, the World Cup. They played a very defensive, negative game, which suited them for the tournament with the players, but it's had this influence now that consequently they've not managed to get to the European Championships, which has got to be something that they've, that's got to be their bread and butter. So you'd argue that potentially Lou Van Hal's um, negativeness at the World Cup that did well there has consequently caused this poor, poor um, you know, Dutch team going in, in that we've got today. You know, it's... It needs to be moved on and someone like Roman Van Persie needs to be, you know, that's his end of his career, like you'd say, probably is going to be, but end of his too late. His career? His, his career in, in, in right. international okay. football, sorry. I thought we were going to be over with that. It was, <laughs> what did you make that own goal, Lawrence? It was, um, it was a pretty incredible sure to head there. I think he was trying to go back to his own goalkeeper and just, yeah. it just didn't end up happening for him. Um, Tim Krull would have saved it, wouldn't he? Well, so, oh yeah, but some <laughs> Arsenal fans say um, he deserved it. Um, one thing I would say is that, that you know there is an incredible amount of ego in this squad. Uh, you know, they, they had they had Schneider at one point to compete with, Ron Van Persie to compete with, um, and it makes it difficult for young personalities to grow at that point. Um, you'd also say that Holland is an, is becoming a more diverse country in terms of its football, and I think maybe is struggling with that because they're you know. There, there is somewhat of a, a weird uh, disjunction between how successful their team is and their philosophy mm. that at one point even Barcelona were probably uh, following or at least have built their philosophy on. And you know, you almost get the feeling that Holland need to be lo looking down on other people and they just can't do that right now. Um, I am One thing I'm really interested in is they didn't have Iron Robin. 
that for me that's a big mm. miss mm. just is it is just a big miss that, you know oh, I, I know you know that there are huge misses but you know missing van persie's one that's a talisman but missing someone like robin of, of actual yeah. sort of still useful footballer isn't is a completely different thing it's quite something dave for uh, you know uefa have expanded the competition from 16 24 teams and still, the Netherlands mess out. They, they finish in the end behind Czech Republic, who topped the group, uh, Group A, uh, Iceland in second place, and Turkey, who are, who are through to the playoffs. But yeah, they were, they were five points off Turkey, which is pretty poor. Um, there you have it. The, cool. ne- the Netherlands are out. Uh, a team who are in, though, Lawrence. Yeah. Of course, the mighty England. 100% yeah. qualifying campaign. Which obviously <laughs> 10 wins well. out of 10. Yeah, 10-10s. Considering the fact that you know, the stat that's been thrown around this week is that um, six other teams have done that before in Euro qualifying, only one team has ever gone on to win it. That was Spain, of course. Don't really does, think that means anything. Yeah, does it mean anything? Uh, I mean, it obviously helps to qualify. I don't understand. I mean, you can pay to however you want, really. Uh, it's obviously a positive thing for the team to win. I guess what they're alluding to is the fact that off the field and uh, in terms of tactics maybe they've not evolved as much as they would like to or as much as people think they should. So I think that's part of it for England really is that it's not too late for them to evolve, but you would say you would have liked to see them evolving in, in, a, in a much more progressive way mm. and changing their football in that time. Whereas Roy Hodgson took a different, maybe slightly more conservative with a small C well, approach. Yeah, and that, yeah, that's just different. I mean, the, the problem is you've got the disjunction of the Premier League and this other thing, and I went on about it last week, but, you know, there is an incredible amount of, uh, there, are an, there are an incredible number of factors which are not only holding England back, but also could go in their favour. And it just depends how you paint it or choose to see it. Are you a believer, as Klopp would say, or are you a doubter? <laughs> you have to start believing. Uh, that was a bit touch all right, there. So all right, yeah, yeah. yeah. Steve. Claren, Steve. Um, Dave, we're talking about tactics there. I mean, we haven't been tested, really. England. So, do you think Hodgson knows his best eleven yet? Do you think he knows what formation he's going to be playing at the tournament, or do you think he hasn't really had a chance to figure that out? Maybe these friendlies against France and Spain is an opportunity to do that. I think he's sort of found his system in a way, but I just think he's it's just a bit of a mess. Like I just, there's, I think there's too many issues with with England as a as a as a country as a as a team to, to challenge for this. I think there's there's too many questions. You know, you're going into a tournament with Wayne Rooney bang out of form. You don't have two dominating centre-halves like we've had in for the past like 10, 15, 20 years in John Terry and Rio Ferdinand or, you know, Adams and before that. There just seems to be no real leaders and no real players that could drag that side. You know, Steven Gerrard's gone. Lampard's not there anymore. David Beckham is long gone. It just seems like there's no one that's stepped up and there's no one that stepped up in in qualifying in a way. Obviously, Ross Barkley's shown some pretty pretty decent form lately for both Everton and England. But can he, you know, pull England to winning the Euros? I completely doubt it. And I just think the defence isn't good enough, the midfield isn't good enough, and the attack isn't good enough. And like you said, I don't think they know the best team. And what, what, you know, do, you, what do you think the formation is that Hodgson needs to go with? Because we saw a four three three. Earlier in qualifying, we saw Fabian Delph sort of playing a, a pivotal role there. It sort of is more of a four-two-three-one at the moment. What formation do you think Hodgson should be going with for the Euros? So it's a, that's a really difficult question. But with Barkley's form, you know, you're going to build the team around Barkley. So probably go with two banks of four, and then with Barkley behind a striker. But then the issue is, who is that striker ahead of him? You've got Harry Kane, you've got Wayne Rooney. 
Essentially, you've got Theo Walcott there. It's difficult. I'd like to see Oxley Chamberlain starting on that right hand side. You know, this in the is, tournament. Davis bringing us on very nicely to the next question. Que- a question from Will Meller. He's saying, "Who would be your starting eleven for England if everyone was fit?" Joe Hart. Let's yeah. let's let's say everyone's fit apart from Luke Shaw, because I think that's unfair, for Luke, isn't it? Luke Shaw is probably not going to make the tournament. Am I right in saying that? Probably. I mean, there's a small chance it could, but Probably. let's just say Luke Shaw's out. So Joe Harting goal, obvious. Left back, are we going for Gibbs? Are we going for Baines? What about Bertrand? Oh, if Bertrand, he regains yeah, his form. Um, I mean, there was a lot of talk um, at the World Cup of we've got to get Leighton Baines in, but he was people were disappointed with him at the World Cup. Yeah, I'm going to go for someone younger. I'll probably go, I'll go Gibbs for this one. I'll probably go for Gibbs as well. More experience. Dave, you happy to, to? I think I think that I'm just going to go with Ryan Bertrand. I think over Gibbs. You've been outvoted. Just, uh, <laughs> no. A centre back, a, a popular pairing, seems to be Stones and Smalling. People are saying that that should be our centre back pairing, not Jagielka or Cahill, who give us that experience. Uh, who who do you think should be in there, Lawrence? I'll go. I'll go Smalling because I've enjoyed him under uh, Van Gaal. Hmm. Uh, it's it's who Stones? is? That's a very young centre back pairing, isn't it? Do you need a bit uh, more experience in there, Dave, maybe? Do you want to yeah, go Elka and Smalling? I think it's got to be Cahill and Smalling. I'd go for Stones and Smalling myself, but I'm happy to go for, for Cahill and Smalling. Lawrence, happy with that? I'm going to have to be. Yeah, all right, fair enough. And then right, <laughs> uh, right, right back, back, we're going Klein. Nathaniel Klein is pretty much nailed on. I'd say. What about John Stones at right back? Question mark. <laughs> I think uh, Klein's probably a... Let's... Yeah, do you want to play a four three three, four two three one, four four one one? What are we going for? Four three three. Mm-hmm. I think we should go for four oh, two three that. one because. Yeah, I reckon the four two three one would work. So okay. See, so I two... guess I guess that my four three three looks like a four two three one, or okay, transi- or it transitions right. between the two based on where players play. Well, so. Let's right. say Louis the, Van Al. The two, the two sort well, of holding the two deeper midfielders. Are we going for Wilshire, Henderson, Milner? For... Uh, well you see this is the thing is it also depends well I guess that's what it doesn't really depend on what football clock plays does it but I mean you could see a really exciting end of the season for Liverpool under Clark and well I mean they might be exhausted by that point but you you know you could also see an exciting brand of football play and you sort of go well you know look at that buccaneering midfielder in I've, there I've seen Carrick shouted as should be in there even though he's going to no. be pushing 35 no, Carrick's had a very poor season so far, in my personal opinion. Okay, so who are the two? Wilshire, get a passer in there. Well, Wilshire's injured as well, isn't he? I oh, think we're that assuming Hendo... we're going to assume he's fit, right? We're going okay. to assume Hendo's definitely in. But then, what about like Deli Alley or um, Eric Dyer? Maybe you know what Eric Dyer's played defensive midfield. Um, yeah, I mean, who who are we going for? I think maybe Wilshire and Henderson are the safe choices, but I'm happy to go yeah. with a Spurs player alongside uh, Henderson, of course. I think that's got no control though. That midfield, they're both a bit like headless chickens in a way, mm-hmm. where none Delph. of them, neither of those players will hold. Delph again, not I think enough, he's not enough tactical control, is it? Mm. Yes, that's what that's I'm. I think point. trying to say, like we need a defensive midfielder, which we don't have apart from Michael Carrick. I would probably say in the Are you saying you have Garrick in there? I don't know. I'm confused right now. I don't know what's going on. Let's go for Henderson. And And alongside him, you're talking about someone with a bit more tactical discipline, a bit of a more of a level head. Yeah. I'd go more than someone else. You'd go who, sorry? 
I go Milner and then someone else. I like Milner. Milner, like no, Milner. he's functional. But oh, central midfield, get him out wide, and he'll do a job oh, for you. This is tough. I see he doesn't want to play there, Dave. That's why Roy. Really yeah, but it's not his. It's not his choice. It's Roy's choice. Well, it kind of is. Yeah, I mean, but that would be the point: is that Roy has, to, you know, to be a right. good man manager, he would say, well, you know, if you want to play there, and you go, well, all right, yeah, well, Henderson's one. Dave Gunty had picked the other. Now, uh, Jack Wilshere. Jack Wilshere, we're done. Uh, left wing. Raheem Sterling? Not yes, that we should pick the team gun, guns to our heads. Uh, <laughs> right, right wing. That's what we should do with Roy. Andros Townsend! <laughs> right wing, I mean, you've got Andros Townsend, Dave. You've also got Oxley chamberlain You've got Walcott. Oxley chamberlain is probably a popular shout for that yeah. right wing berth. Uh, like Ox, the Ox has um, an impact midfield. So do you want to put Walcott there? Uh, yeah, all right, I will. Okay. I'll put Walcott Walk and, and then later in the game we'll go Ox comes on to, to hit him where it hurts. Central attack in midfield, number 10 position, the the hole, if you will. We're looking at Wayne Rooney, are we not? Or are we looking at Ross Barkley? Is Ross Rooney Barkley. even getting into this team? Uh, for me, yeah. He's done. Rooney's done. All right, we've gone for Barkley over the captain, Wayne Rooney. Interesting. <laughs> Can't see Roy doing that myself. But up front, big question yeah, mark. That question. Is that where Rooney gets in? Is Harry Kane coming in? Is Sturridge yeah, coming in? A bit it more is, mobility. It's, it's Sturridge to start. It's Harry Kane to come on later, or or vice versa. I think Lawrence. What? What about Danny Ings? Oh, I mean, good, good point, Dave. That's a good point. He, he, <laughs> I mean, Ings is good point well made. Ings, you know, Ings, Ings scores. is in. I think I'd agree with Lawrence as much as I love Harry good. Kane. I think Daniel Sturridge to start. He gives you mobility, pace. Harry Kane. He comes on in that that last twenty minutes, a deadly finisher, finishes those <laughs> chances at the end of the game. I agree with that, Dave, or are you? Uh, more of an I think we should, yeah, I think we should go with Charlie Austin. He's going to move to Man United I mean, in January and score 50, year, 50, year, 50, fifty years, fifty goals. Um, <laughs> before before we move on from England, then I mean, are we holding out much hope for for the free lines over there, or are we a bit more realistic and we're sort of like you know quarterfinals is, is as much as we can hope for? Just Don't. gotta hope they get out of the group, eh? I think that's the yeah. big challenge. I like that. Pessimistic. I think it's just more. I mean, what, I'm interested with what Jurgen Klopp has been tasked with at Liverpool this season, which is just to play a recognisable brand of football. Oh, um, we'll come on to Klopp, Lawrence. We'll come. Um, on no, to no. What, what, well, all I'm saying is, I'd love it if that—that's what England had, because yeah. I think a lot of people think at a tournament, you know, when the fans are going around, going, "Yeah, this is us." You sort of want to be able to associate with something, and you want to be able to have a. You know, a tournament where you can hold your head high. There's no point in sort of going around in England being these one nil winners going through and you know holding people to things. You want the fans to have something to hold on to. I think that goes with a, a recognisable and attractive brand of football. And we don't have that. Let's mm, I agree. Mention the other home nations uh, for now. Wales, the first oh, Wales. major tournament since nine, yeah. 1958. Thanks it's so a massive guys. achievement, Lawrence. It's not just Bale, but it, I mean, it no, is. Bale. I think Bale not, is the centre, the, the yeah. focus of the team. But you've got Aaron Ramsey, Ashley Williams doing a job there at the back. Yeah. Um, I mean, Ashley, Ashley Williams marshaled that defence mm. for so many games. And it, it meant that they also became, it meant that they had more tactical options um, because, you know, he, he is, he's quite an intelligent footballer uh, or a good leader of those guys. Um, and I think that, you know, credit essentially to the guys who also played around those people because it must be uh, you know the step up for some of them is a real challenge hmm. and I think you know especially when we're looking at the likes of Wales we're looking at 
um, the likes of Northern Ireland, those sort of guys. I think, you know, you get to a certain level where you think, you know, we've got so many guys in our team, we've got this, we've got that. We, we need some people who are going to be, where am I going with this sentence? Basically, people who are going to, people who are going to get, give you quality that maybe you don't expect from a side like that. Uh, Dave, what have you made of Wales qualifying campaign? They've only lost one game. Well, uh, I think defensively they've been pretty sound, haven't they? They've only conceded four goals in the entire qualifying campaign, which is pretty good. But they've only scored eleven goals um, during the during the campaign. So I think they'll they'll keep it tight. Um, you know, they'll look to hit people on the counter attack. You know, it's what's going to happen. If you can get the ball to Gareth Bale enough times, and he will, he will do something magical. But it, it's a real question. I think that there's there's certain question marks about this team. Yeah, there's certain players in there. You know, the likes of David Vaughan still getting in there and then Robson Carnu um, and then Chris Chris Gunter at right back and then Wayne Hennessy and goal, James Chester. So there's a lot of questions here in terms of dodgy, dodgy players into, at, that, at that level of uh, of football. So we, we will see. Sammy Vokes may turn around and be no. top scorer at the Euros. Chris Gunter did all right, though, you know, Dave. He, it wasn't like he was a... Ter- you know, there, there are some real highlights for those players, but you just sort of worry that that, that is their highlight. You know? Yeah, I think that's that may be the thing then. They've already peaked... They've peaked before the tournament away. And, you know, it's a great achievement qualifying for the, um, you know, the championships. It was the first time that Wales qualified for a tournament since 1958. But I think that could be their peak. And we'll just see them. They'll go out probably in the group. But, you know, hopefully they'll play a nice brand of football. We'll, you know, continue playing that brand of football. Talking of massive achievement, guys. Northern Ireland. They were Top the fifth-tier seed. As you say, Lawrence, fifth-tier seed. They topped their group. No real star players like... Gareth Barrow, for example, he is a massive achievement for them as well. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I mean, they do have a couple of guys in there who are recognisable. Uh, Lafferty oh, was Lafferty. somewhat <laughs> a talisman. Um, you know, I mean, obviously Chris Baird as well. Uh, Davis. And Ollie Norwood, obviously, was a really recognisable mm. player for them throughout. So I think they do, have, they do have some guys that, you know, when they go to... The, and all that, You know, you've also got to say Chris Brunt is in there as well. Um, yeah. And McNair is, is a... And McCauley is also a very recognisable name. Um, so I do think there are, you know, they have quite a few guys in there that I think people will at least know of because they'll be in a similar sphere. So, you know, I think it, it, what's interesting about this side is they didn't play a particularly enterprising brand of football. Um, but what they did do, they did very well. Um, and that got them through. And, you know, if you look back through Northern Ireland's results during this group, then there are some really impressive ones. Um, and I'm more interested in what Northern Ireland are going to bring to the tournament, in t- again, in terms of fans. Because when I was at Euro 2012, it was wonderful to have the Republic of Ireland fans there. Um, and, you know, obviously I'm not comparing the two. They are not the same guys. But what I'm saying is it's great to have a, a, a representation from the home nations and around those areas. Because um, you look at the way that they've played and you look at uh, the, the fans themselves and they're fantastic and really good travelling fans. Um, Scotland finally uh, failed to qualify. So close. Yeah, they were pretty close. Three points off, uh, finishing in the playoff places. Fourth in the group. Germany obviously topping Group D. uh, Poland second. Republic of Ireland have got that playoff place, third place. A little bit disappointing for them, considering they beat the world champions Germany um, a few days ago. 1-0 at home. Shane Long, the national hero. But then Mm. to, to lose to Poland... It's disappointing, but it is an achievement for Ireland to to finish third. I think is an achievement for them, Dave. Yeah, I'd say so. Did they not draw with Poland, or did I completely miss that game? 
No, no. They, they lost, Dave. They, they lost. It was two, oh, a two-one defeat. But if Sorry, they, guys. If they'd have drawn two all, they would have gone. They would have gone through. Yeah. Um, but they still can qualify for the playoffs. They are in the playoffs, but we don't know. You know, that was a, that was a real chance for them to get through the playoffs. You don't know who you're going to get. Obviously, the Netherlands aren't there, but you know. Hopefully, Thierry Henry isn't there with his. You know, <laughs> yeah. golden hands that could be a big issue again but it could be, it could be difficult for them to get through we'll see hopefully fingers crossed you do you do think of that as a sort of a, a real scar on their on their football yeah. industry don't you because <laughs> that essentially did stop them going to a tournament and that I mean that's pretty ridiculous Thierry Henry he's a handballing wanker that's what I'm didn't talking. they get compo as well they yeah, got like six million yeah, compensation. Yeah, oh, but they, and that's mean, like know, saying that's like saying, oh yeah, the referee was really good. We're just going to give you six million pounds. Yeah, but even then, you sort of think, well, how much would they have made? What if they'd gone and done really well? What if you know all sorts of things? That I think lots of factors. Lots of factors that they probably have lost out on by not being there. We'll see. They they beat the world champions. You'd you'd, you'd keep your fingers crossed for the uh, playoffs. But um... thank God they're not playing in the Netherlands, eh? <sighs> thank God, indeed. <laughs> um, there have been a lot of injuries, though, Dave, in these um, in, in these Euro qualifiers, the final round there. Could have a big impact. We're looking at, for Newcastle, for example, Tim Krul is out big. for the season now. How how much is that going to affect Newcastle, who, uh, let's not forget, are yet to win a Premier League game this season? It's going to be absolutely massive, isn't it? Tim Krul, obviously, one of the Premier League's probably better keepers. You know, really, really good shot stopper. Uh, they just—they're lacking so much right now, and losing another key cog. That you know, a player that's actually pretty decent now. What is Elliot going to come in and sort of shore up the shot? Probably not. But also, I'd mentioned Man City as well. How many players have they lost? They've lost Aguero, yeah, uh, Kolarov's injured, David Silva's injured. You know, I tell you what, it's done. It's ruined I mean, my fantasy. Serbia lost. Team. Well, yeah, but Serbia lost uh, Matic and Ivanovic. Exactly. Obviously, rejoicing. Chelsea fans uh, are. Uh... Probably have should we that, should we take this moment to congratulate no Perlo, no party, Felipe leading the way with four hundred and forty-four points in the front three fantasy football. Well done, sir. I wish I'd paid attention, Felipe. <laughs> Felipe, mate. Applause. Felipe, well done. Mate. Um, you well. Moving on to a little bit of news then. Uh, aside from all this international football. Well, I mean, Adam, part of the problem with the international football is it, is it has led to a series of crap articles. Yes, I think that the people are trying to fill column inches. Are they not, Lawrence? Yes, but statistically, they're not filling inches. <gasps> uh, there has have been someone been slating day, the, the, the entire basis of industry. Dave's life. Well, I think, uh, you know, obviously when you dedicate your life to anything, you are a loser. Um, but Dave is doing pretty well. <laughs> but not Dave. At this point. Not Dave. Oh, um, you know, I've dedicated my life to life. Um, and what I, what I would say is there are people currently who still don't seem to understand stats hmm. or understand the use of stats and also the use of, I think, to be honest, I think there's probably a lot of pundits out there, a lot of people who are just ill-informed who comment. Hmm. Um, I'm probably one who's currently commenting on journalists while speaking about this. But <laughs> journalists in particular at the uh, the mirror and i think he also does the sunday people or unless it's called the sunday mirror you'll forgive me if i don't read a red top um it says why premier league clubs big money obsession with statistics is vastly overrated this one's by neil moxley do you mind if i read you the article uh Dave? yeah i'd like to listen go for it okay. neil moxley has his say on why more scouts should be watching players in the flesh rather than c- getting caught up on their <laughs> numbers 
Um, it, there's a, at the very top is a, a photo of um, of Brendan Rodgers. Read along at home. Uh, it says, Axed, Rodgers was sacked by Liverpool. The most startling revelation of the week emerged from Brendan Rodgers sacking at Liverpool. It wasn't that his replacement, Jurgen Klopp, likes heavy metal or uh, was, a Liverpool, was a Reds fan as a boy. No, no, no. The most eye-popping information aired in the past seven days was a report detailing the influence of some bloke with a laptop over the club's <laughs> owners, Fenway Sports Group. They pay someone called Michael Edwards £300,000 yet pounds a year to advise them on which statistics to look at when making policy decisions never mind that rogers might have thought uh, never mind what rogers might have thought but i suppose that does not matter now the barely believable part of it all is that edwards is in no way shape or form alone in his position <laughs> the article goes on to basically bollocks its way through what he believes uh, statistics are coming to the conclusion as long as i live that ain't going cha to change, no matter what the geeks say. What, basically say. what his basic line is, and I love it, is because it it's basically the laziest of, I, I barely call this journalism. Oh, yeah, he says, he just, he there is just... only one piece of data that determines the direction any club is taking. The score line. <laughs> what is the score line, Lawrence? Exactly. It's 1-0 to the wankers, Dave. 1-0 to the wankers. Listen to this one expert, uh, this excerpt, sorry, because I think this is... this. It. It's as if regurgitating a breakdown of the passes completed, crosses delivered and blocks made makes people look good. It doesn't matter one iota, not one. Statistics themselves cannot tell you whether those passes were backwards, forwards or sideways. <laughs> Pretty sure they Can do. they not? <laughs> right, right now, I'm going to get... Premier League, who has completed those forward passes in the Premier League? Dave, Just it doesn't matter, Dave. Dave, it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter one, matter one iota. iota. Dave, you didn't Not listen. One. It doesn't matter. Dave, uh, I'm going to count the number of iotas that care. None. <laughs> right, Dave? How many iotas, iotas are in the Premier League? It's a, it's a real shame that we can't tell whether a pass goes forward or backwards with data. Maybe that's something that the guy, lovely guys at Opta who provide all the data for score could maybe could look into that for us. That'd be yeah. that'd be brilliant, you know. Well, Dave, maybe I think they're a bit busy. They're a bit busy with the one statistic that matters, Dave. Oh, the, the scoreline. Are they trying the to get that? Line. Yeah, Nailed yeah. Up. But think, tell me, if it's two one to Liverpool, is that two one with the ball going forward or the ball going back? Oh, well, that is a question. Well, you've got there to tell go. me who's playing left to right or right to left. Exactly. I, I see. What he's trying to say is he. He's done it in a very poorly conceived manner. Yeah. But he's tried to say, he's like, oh, you can't measure a player's character. You can't measure their hunger. You can't marry, uh, measure their determination. Their positional sense. Yeah, but that's not what he's so, saying, though, is it, Adam? No, that's, exa but that's what exactly what he says. He's doing he says him it, an incredible disservice. No, that, that, is, that, is a, that is an excerpt from his article. He says that. You can't measure a player's character. So he's saying, like, you know, so what use of stats? Because you need to judge these with your eyes. But I'm, the way he completely discounts stats is to the detriment of his point. So what he's what he's doing is he's creating systematic bias on players that he watches by having by watching them a handful of times, which creates an opinion of a player that doesn't actually relate to their statistical performance, which is the fucking issue with idiots that don't understand stats, is that they have, they've got this bias. Like, for example, a corner is a great example. A lot of um, you know ex-players are going to say, right, every corner we're going to do an outswinger. Why? Because outswingers look a hell of a lot better when, they, when they're scored. You look at the stats of that, you score more in-swinging, you know, score more from in-swinging corners than out-swinging corners. 
Hence, like breaking this systematic bias of an ex-player that remembers goals going in from an outswinging corner. And this is the issue with people like this. They don't fully understand the whole fucking problem because they're stupid. But Dave, it doesn't matter one iota, but would you say the problem is, um, (laughs) would you say that also part of the issue would be that he's not, he's basically taken all the nuance out of the situation. So what he's basically made it look as, as if, um, is as if you either have to be one camp or the other. Yeah. You either have yeah. to be fully stats or you have to be fully based yes. on the human eye. And what I think he, the worst thing is, he actually says it in his own sentence. He says, they pay someone called Michael Ebers £300,000 a year to advise them on which statistics to look at. It's not even which statistics, which statistics to look at when making policy decisions. He's, he did, that doesn't mean they inform the policy directly. It literally just means that it's another factor that they're taking into account. So it doesn't like you can have scouts that can come back and go, he looked really good in that game. As long as those scouts then go, I should probably look at the statistics and see if that was true. <laughs> I think that's how a good club would run themselves, and that you know it's the, the marriage of I think the it's two. How eight, like, you eight use stats to inform your your opinions and back up and give us evidence, everything that you that you're trying to to say. But yeah, it's the way he's just sort of, it's, it's one or the other he's, with this guy. He's a right muppet, isn't he? I mean. That, that's I think you've summed it up perfectly, Dave. In many yeah. ways, um, there you go. Give it a read, guys. Is it Neil Moxley in the, in the mirror? Did we say? Give it a read. Let him know what you think I of mean, him. Is, yeah, let him let him really know. A slight to Dave's. Let him know that I am the whole life. I am the whole. All right. But other news life this week, guys. Let other him know news. I am the whole. Be whoever girl. whoever's out there, how many people can we get to tweet at D at, not Dean Moxley, <laughs> Neil Moxley? I am the whole. He's going to be very confused we, tomorrow. Should we get his hand up? Very confused. <laughs> I think the biggest issue is he'll probably he'll probably not know how many iotas it is. <laughs> he doesn't care. That's true. Guys. Fuck your article, Neil. I'm sure you're a lovely guy, but you wrote a shit article. <laughs> Three other big bits of news to get through, apart from the, the, the slating of stats by Neil Moxley. First up, Dave, Big Sam is back. He's at Sunderland. Oh. It's somewhat he, a risk. It's somewhat a risk for him to take no, the show, I feel. Big, big summer risk. No, he's, he's no, it's solid. Him. It's solid him, Premier League. No, he'll, he'll sort that out. He'll get rid of Eunice Kabul. He'll bring back in John O'Shea and Wes Brown centre half pair and they'll play deep. He's going to play the long Kevin ball. Nolan, apparently. He's going to play. Oh, Kevin that's going to be fantastic. Kevin, a big Kevin Nolan back in the North East. Wonderful stuff. I think Sam Allardyce is a manager that will get you out of a rut, will change things, will. Make players think about the game in a different way. You know, you'll look at if we pump the ball to our striker, the ball is going to land in this zone of the pitch X amount of the time. And that's why Sam is brilliant because he's used data the right way. And, it, you know, it's, it's good to see him back. Do you think he's a fan, though, with um, Rafa Benitez? No, I don't think he is. There was some pretty pretty bad things said about old Rafa today, Lawrence. What, what do you think of the uh, the comments? Pretty scathing comments from Big Sam, who basically says that Rafa didn't do anything for he he did nout, I believe he said, he to nout. win the Champions League. Um, I think there's a which wow. there's an even I mean, worse it, one. Oh really? I think it's was similar to that. It, let me just quickly quickly but find it. But what, what Big Sam was saying, he basically said uh, Rafa Benitez. It wasn't really him who won the Champions League. He didn't do very much. Uh, despite the fact that Luis Garcia scored that fabulous goal, and that was a Rafa Benitez signing. Xabi Alonso scored in the final, another Rafa Benitez signing. And Rafa Benitez made the tactical change in the final uh, for Liverpool to do that. But 
you know, he didn't really do anything. Yeah, uh, you know, any know. other manager would have taken that extremely average Liverpool team to the final of the Champions League Jimmy to beat Traore. one of, I'd say, one of the best AC Milan teams in recent years. It was all Stevie, yep. mate. It was all Stevie. Yeah, that was that was the quote. It was something on the lines of Rafa didn't win the Champions League final. It was Stevie. Yeah. Jesus, I was only joking. What a, what a um, s- apart from the Rafa bashing, though, Lawrence, I mean, Dave He's still a wanker. Yeah, Dave, <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to argue with you, but do you what think What about he, JJ Akotcha? Bring him back. Um, do, do you think Big Sam's going to keep... Sam a good match. Do you think he's going to keep him up, Lawrence? <laughs> That's the question. That's why he's there. Is he going to keep Sunderland from the We've drop? Not seen, I mean, we saw them play pretty good football, um, actually, in the last game before... Uh, Dick was sacked, so yeah, I think he, I think he probably will. But he, he has a task on his hands because if you look, at, uh, basically look at the Premier League table right now and look at where Sunderland sit, uh, they sit on equal points with Newcastle, which is terrible for that region in the first place, um, and they're five points behind the likes of West Brom, Chelsea, uh, Bournemouth, <laughs> and those guys. But there, there will be people. But the thing is, we're not ten games in yet, so it's not a solidified position. Yeah, you've got games say they now. win. Say if they win their next two games, which Sunderland do do actually have quite kind fixtures coming up against West Brom, um, and also Newcastle and Everton, and uh, then Southampton and Crystal Palace, which is tricky, but also Stoke and those guys. I think they have a run of fixtures which is favourable for Sam coming in. Um, so you know things are on his side. Um, talking of relegation battles and, and favourable fixtures, Aston Villa, Dave. Um, they haven't won since the opening day of the season when they beat Bournemouth 1-0. They've lost four games on the spin and they've got Chelsea away coming up, which maybe is a favourable fixture, thinking about it. Uh, they've got Swansea at home, Southampton away and then Tottenham away. The talk is that Tim Sherwood is going to lose his job if he fails to get a result from those next two games with David Moyes, the rumoured replacement. What do you think of that, Dave? Is that a good move for Villa? Yeah, I'd say an even more interesting move would be Brendan Rodgers, I think. I think Brendan Rodgers is... I think he's very, very good at that level, the I mid-table Brendan Premier Rogers League level. Would think why would he do that? Why would he do that, though? I don't why see he why that? he would jump into why, that. Yeah. But then that's his level. I think that is his level. You know, you Swansea's, you Southampton's. Oh, yeah. I think that's uh, yeah, sort yeah, of level. It's not level, though, is it, Dave? I just that's think that it'd be, good. it'd be good for him and it'd be good for the club. But if David Moyes comes in, that'll be cracking. Um, Moyes has sort obviously of got something really... to prove, hasn't he? Exactly. But I'd like to remind you guys, I look really silly right now because I was, I said Villa with their signings will be the dark horse of the Premier League. So I apologise to all <clears> the <throat> listeners and <clears throat> you three guys. I am an idiot. You also said Billich would be the first manager sacked, didn't you? But yeah, would... yeah, but I mean, Billich is still gonna go down. He's still a fraud. Um, he's still, he's a fraud. Other managerial changes, guys. I mean, we did we touched on it last week before it was made official, but it's clock mania. Liverpool, uh, Lawrence, people are getting a little bit carried away. Not even just Liverpool fans, I think it's yep. fair to say. I think everyone is pretty excited about the fact Jurgen Klopp is at Anfield. You've got the official club store selling shirts with the normal one on it. Um, yep. Even the club's getting carried away. But, I mean, Jurgen now Klopp changed his pants. Jurgen Klopp yeah, did, he's out did, in Liverpool. took training. Jurgen Klopp did normal things that other people do he's on a daily basis. the normal one, Lawrence. That's why. Uh, but I mean, we, we talked about it a lot before. He was appointed, obviously. But I mean, how excited are you now? Big game coming up this weekend at Spurs. Huge. Obviously, it's also the first one on the weekend, uh, which is 12.45 kickoff, which means he gets um, a, a mere two hours and 15 minutes less. 
than the other managers get to and prepare for the three o'clock kickoff. Yeah, and he won't have um, all of his players yet with him. Um, he's only going to have a, a couple of days to to get them prepared in oh, his, and, in his yeah. methods. And uh, and that's going to be an interesting thing is whether he chooses to pick up straight away or what he chooses to do from there. Um, there are things to taper Liverpool's excitement, which is obviously that they don't know how he's going to mesh with the squad, but they do know that he's a good manager and that other people have spoken very glowingly of him. They don't know uh, who he's going to pick from the squad to do well. He does have quite a long injury list right now with a lot of talented and technical players out, but there is also a list of people in there that Liverpool have bought that look technically good. We don't know how well German managers are going to do in the Premier League. There's not a, a particularly long um, list of reputable German managers who have come to the league and done particularly well. Um, it's also that it's football. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today may not translate from the, the Bundesliga. It's also that maybe Liverpool look and think they're mo- moving in a certain direction and people are willing to build him up because it may be easier then, therefore, to knock him down. Um, but it's basically what he's tasked with is building a brand of football that Liverpool would be recognised for. He's talking about getting rid of the rucksack of history, etc. I, I guess what, what Liverpool fans want is someone who's going to build something that feels sustainable and gives them something to rally behind. And that's not just someone who comes in and just changes things short term. It has to be a long term change. And it, it will be, a, you know, I mean, if he re- reignites the belief around Anfield and gets it cheering, those sort of things, that's fantastic. But let's just taper that a little bit with hmm. this is a difficult run of games that he has. Um, you know, he does face a big challenge at Anfield, but his all the change and all the, the you know, the, the change in mood, all those kind of things is a fantastic difference. You just want it to be something that solidifies and actually becomes real because at the moment it's all talk uh, not from him necessarily but yeah. from a lot of different people and I, I'm looking forward to seeing how that solidifies that I mean Dave in his first press conference he made a real impact I mean like I was saying everyone got very excited not just Liverpool fans people were excited to see such a charismatic manager in the Premier League I think everyone's excited about the box office value that brings but as Lawrence is saying there it is a difficult job I mean we were talking about it last week how, you know, path the course for Liverpool is fifth place. So do you think Jurgen Klopp, is, Jurgen Klopp is someone who can overachieve consistently and get Liverpool back into that top four, back where the people who own the club and the people who run the club believe they should be? I think he's got a lot of big decisions to make. I think that's the, the you know, the, the team sheet against Tottenham is going to be really interesting. You've got questions like Ben Teke versus Sturridge up front. I think you've got a, you know, who's going to play centre-half for Jurgen 
Klopp? Who's going to play fullback for Jurgen Klopp? What's his midfield balance going to be? Is James Milner still going to play in central midfield? Is Firmino going to play? Is Coutinho going to play? It's, it, there's so many interesting questions. And tactically, Jurgen Klopp is absolutely fantastic. But will he get his ideas over in a week? Probably not. But I was sort of, I was really happy that he was coming to the Premier League. But then it sort of dawned on me that he's joined Liverpool and I was a bit upset about that. Jurgen Klopp let me down. I loved him at Borussia Dortmund. I'm going to have to now hate him. But anyway, it's going to be, Liverpool's going to be fun to watch 100%. And that game against Tottenham, two teams that sort of press, parry each other, two young managers, two youngish managers, let's say. It's going to be fantastic. Would you also say, though, that it's partly, um, it's, it's also, we have to look at how he works with players that most people in the past have rated as mediocre or other managers have had problems with. He's managed to get the best out of them. I think that's partly what brings some hope to Liverpool as well. Yeah, that, um, the, the technical qualities are something that he tends to bring out, especially in young players too. And he's said the door's wide open. Before we move on to the questions, what are your predictions for Tottenham Liverpool, the big game of the weekend? I'm going to go for 2 1 to Spurs. I'm a bit biased. Lawrence? Uh, I'll go, I've got to go uh, 2 all for Desmond. I like that. And uh, Dave? I'm going to go 3 3, even bigger, more goals. Christian Benteke is going to explode. Danny Ings is going to score the equaliser in the 90th minute. It's just going to be fun football. That is a bold prediction. Um, there you have it for all the news and all that stuff. Let's move on to the questions. Okay, so on to the questions. Uh, question one this week from Dan on Twitter he says who is the best player to never get to play at a World Cup hashtag I am the whole hashtag much appreciated that is a tough broad question I've got a little list up here I think you know these could rival Ryan Giggsy so we could uh, we could make a decision number one Alfredo Di Stefano I mean that's pretty big that's pretty big George Best I mean one of the great all time greats George Ware Mr. George, yeah. Thierry Henry's favourite player. Uh, Ian Rush. I mean, uh, surely it's between... What about Ian Wright? Eric Cantona. Jeez. Yeah, um, all of them. What do you reckon? I think I think Alfredo Di Stefano's or Besties. George Best's pretty hard to argue. Di Stefano's an interesting one, though, because he didn't he nationalise when he went to he moved to Spain. He stopped uh, being an Argentinian citizen and became a Spanish citizen. So it's a bit of a strange uh, story, that one. I think he missed the World Cups in between moving there and then Spain didn't qualify. Right, so, yeah, well, he's still someone who didn't play. Best yeah, he is, definitely. Giggs, the most decorated player in the history of the English game. Best and the greatest of all time. Yeah, all right. G- G- not a bad shout. Giggs is a good... Gig- I'll go with Giggs because it makes sense, doesn't it? Giggs is. It does make sense. All right, we had a little discussion there. Um, hope you're happy Excellent. with that one. Uh, yeah. That's the question. Uh, Tension uh, says, Messi or Pele? Now, seeing as I've never seen Pele play a whole 90 minutes, uh, never got round to that, seeing as he stopped playing before I was born. Um, I mean, Did he? Okay. Yeah. Probably going to go for, for Messi. I mean, I, I don't have all the, the tools at my disposal to make a fair judgment. but um, it, To be honest, yeah, it, it's a similar thing. Oh, but, I mean, the, the witnesses mm. of Pele. And it's also like comparing, you know, um, I don't know, a classic car with um, a Lamborghini now. Yeah. You, they're, they're two different things. Uh, well, I mean, that's any car. Um, but I think that, that, that still, the point still stands. 
it's like comparing something that is, you know, Pele almost played a different kind of football mm. or in a different time of football. So, yeah. uh, Dave, any thoughts on that uh, eternal question, SEO Pele? It's got a bit old for me. It's for me. It's messy. I think his his scoring record is ridiculous. He's an absolutely brilliant player, but it's because I haven't seen Pele, and I think it's it's difficult to judge a player that you've not seen versus a player you have seen. But I is think it also they have very few stats on Pele, Dave. No, Pele was you know Pele scored over a thousand goals, didn't he, in really? football? But he did play for you know he did play for Santos. He didn't really you know he didn't get involved in Europe at that point. But then Santos were t- touring the globe. They were the Carlum Globetrotters equivalent at that point, but. I don't know. I think it's got to be Messi for me. I think if we could compare it, I'd still mm. say Messi. Well, I think, like, for example, you know, we're talking about seeing Messi. Every single Messi goal ever scored is documented and probably up on YouTube. Exactly. Whereas one of Pele's best ever goals has had to be recreated in a, in a computer simulation due to lack of, you know, footage. A- actual so, cameras. Yeah, do you know what I mean? So it's kind of, it's almost unfair in a way to compare them, but you can only judge them on what we've seen. Uh, the same person, Tension on Twitter, says, could you see Thomas Muller winning the Ballon d'Or in future? So, Dave, I'll come to you first. You're a, big, uh, you're a big Thomas fan, aren't you? I am a massive Thomas Muller fan, but I just think in the current environment with Messi and Ronaldo, it's just difficult to see past them. Maybe if he outlasts them, that's probably his, own, his best bet. If he can hit, hit a real peak after Messi and Ronaldo have moved on, then definitely. You know, really interesting, I um, was reading the new Alex Ferguson book, Leadership, um, is it called leadership? Sorry, no, leading. Um, and one of the things that he said in there, which quite surprised me, was he classes, um, you know, so was, you know the world class debate that came out ages ago. He classes Thomas Muller in this great player set underneath of the likes of Luis Suarez and Neymar, which yep. for me was just quite interesting because it seems like you know the media don't really see Thomas Muller as this brilliant player, but you know, uh, Ika Grundigan comes out after the Bayern Munich versus Dortmund game and just say he's the most difficult player to play against in the world because you just don't know where he is. And that's a massive issue. You know, he's all constantly in your blind spot. Which is really interesting. I think Muller's brilliant, but can't see him winning the Ballon d'Or. I've seen a few people suggesting that um, perhaps Lewandowski could be in the frame this year, seeing as it has become sort of a goal-scoring um, award almost. And he is up, up there for the past um, 12 months with Messi and Ronaldo. Do you think there's any chance of him winning that if he carries on his current form? He could actually I think he's, that. He's probably got a little bit of a better chance waiting till next season. In a way, because if Bayern Munich, you know, continue their great form that they have at the moment, you know, with Lewandowski being this goal scorer, he's been directly involved in 13 goals in the Bundesliga this season, 12 goals and one assist, which is absolutely incredible. In a, I think it's eight games that he's played, but he, I think he's got to keep that form going on and he's got to sort of carry Bayern Munich to the Champions League final, win that and then do well in the Euros. You can see him definitely up there for next season, but this season I think it's a little bit too far-fetched because he had moments of last season where he was, re- he was in really, really poor form. Um, you know, think around January, I think it was, he just wasn't putting the ball in the back of the net. But then obviously start of the season, he's absolutely exploded. So I think it's just, we've got to wait with Lewandowski. A uh, question here from Joel Castro. He said, hey guys, really want to hear your opinion on uh, this week's episode. Hashtag I am the whole. Appreciate that. Uh, he's done a little um, note, taking a screenshot. So it is this, right. Here in the US, all of our sports are decided by playoffs. Do you think the Premier League should have a 14 playoff at the end of the 38-game season? It would only be two extra games for those four teams. For example, last year's results, it would be a home game for Chelsea v United, home game for City v Arsenal, Wembley would host the final and third place games the following week. It would be huge money and it could avoid those anticlimactic season enders. Love the podcast all the way from Los Angeles. Thanks, Joel. Appreciate that. Mm. Um, I do like the idea of a playoff coming in the season. You you do think... uh... Adds that drama right at the end, as he's saying there. Yeah, but then it also change. It also means that 
um, sometimes people fall away from being able to get get into the playoffs. So every system has its downfall, doesn't it? I wouldn't um, mind. Some people fall away from getting into that. What I'm saying is I wouldn't necessarily just go in that format. It's a nice mm. format, but I'd, I'd extend it to more people. I think um, I wouldn't be averse to... I think uh, having it against a 38-game season, having the winner, you know, prove himself over time is a, is a great way of deciding who is the best in the country. What about playoff it's for it's the Champions League places? That that's what I, I think that's what we want. Yeah, that yeah. definitely. But, but it's, also, it's also that, I mean, it tests different things because the NBA tests, like, the clutch moments, if you like. And I guess footballers have those because they generate it at a different time of the season. But you'd still say, you know, if you're playing a, a seven-game series or whatever, which is different in the NBA because the fitness and stuff and also the length of matches but still it, it what could we do if we looked at changing up the format of football competitions and what it actually tests um i just wonder does that you know does just the league thing work and i suppose that's the problem is the champions league is the knockout competition and that's fantastic yeah. that's a premier competition so you don't really want to try and rival that because you will lose it would be interesting to see say fourth fifth sixth seventh in a playoff for that fourth place though because be at, at, at the moment you know there's sort of almost we a may, no man's we may land. See third fourth fifth sixth seventh yeah yeah, yeah. Good. In the playoff there is, in years to come there's Although, a sort of uh, a no man's land in the middle of the premier league at the moment isn't there where you know those teams around you know between eighth and twelfth or whatever are sort of they're not really competing for anything or they don't have much of a purpose if you did open that up i think you'd see teams really fighting for that seventh position uh jameer price said the biggest flops in your club's history and why um dave i think one of the obvious candidates is angel di maria the most expensive signing in premier league history but i think the i think the but that is the environment that he came in at. i think that under ferguson angel di maria would have absolutely flourished and I think that was, you know, that is the potential issue with Louis van Gaal as manager. Um, other honourable mentions, I say, potentially the signing of Sebastian Veron did not fit into Ferguson's um, philosophy. Obviously, at Lazio, the team was built, Spengorn Eriksson built his team around Sebastian Veron. He came to Old Trafford. We already had the likes of Paul Scholes in there, you know, Nicky Butt, uh, Roy Keane. He had too many dom- dominating central midfielders to, to him to fit in. You know, potentially Cleverson after a brilliant World Cup was very poor. Bebe is a classic example of a player that just wasn't good enough for Man United. Um, and then probably Jemba Jemba. There's some good names for you. God, Jemba Jemba. Uh, who's number one there? Come on. Uh, Give me one solid name, a pick. I think it's got to be Bebe. That that game where he played against million, Wolves. Though, Eight million. I just the game against Wolves where he couldn't cross for Toffee was just atrocious. He had about seven or eight chances and he completely cleared the box. It was absolutely awful. But yeah, I'm going to give it to Bebe because he's a cult hero. Should have offered him more than Toffee, Dave. That was that was part of the problem. That was yeah, that was the issue. Should have gone for Galaxy, shouldn't I? Galaxy or any other brand of chocolate. Yeah, pass for the Galaxy. Lawrence, who are you going for? There's been some bad ones in recent years. Uh, you would say, well, I mean, there's been a number of guys to go through the Brendan Rodgers era, even though it's not really the Brendan Rodgers signing. Andy um, Carroll? No, because Andy Carroll scored in the FA Cup final and stuff, so you wouldn't say he's the worst. Um, he was anticlimactic, but he was, uh, but at the same time he did things, at least he proved that what he could do was be Andy Carroll, which was a big man um, to play a role. Um, so, no, I go, uh, someone like maybe Nunes Gonzalez, uh, oh, Nunes was shit, wasn't he? I feel a bit sorry for Igor Biscan because he gets a bad rep, but had a had a couple of good games for Liverpool. Um, there was also, I mean, there's people like Luis Alberto, uh, Iago Aspas, who is now you know scoring goals in La Liga. It's 
but it, it feels almost harsh to say about those players because they didn't really get to play. So <clears throat> the funny thing was, right, I've got a good one. Uh, there was one a few years ago, Leto signed for Liverpool. Just oh, yeah. He's never got a work permit. Don't That's remember. pretty disappointing. Um, <laughs> because he looked, he, looked, he looked like a perfect Benitez player. Um, can I also say maybe Ryan Barbel? Ryan not, Barbel, yeah. Not because he, because he did some great things, but never on a consistent basis. Yeah. And people still seem to love him. And that's what kind of disappoints a little bit is that he, like, he almost never, he was almost happy with just being good at people being like, yeah, you're good. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, Bible's not what a bad shout. Not a bad shout. What about? I mean, you must have a long list at Spurs. There's quite a lot, but <laughs> I think, um, I think, yeah, unfortunately, it has to go to Soldado. I know it's the obvious choice, but when we did sign him, there was so much optimism around the club that we'd finally signed a great goal scorer, and it was going to, you know, fire us into the. People were talking about a title challenge, let alone, you know, a, a top four. Um, you know, competing for a top four place. So for 27 million, I think it was to only have scored five. Maybe seven goals, only yeah. a handful of which were for open play. It's pretty bad. Um, so, yeah, I'll give it to Roberto Soldado. Um, next question is from Dason Adamson. Dason1996. He says, Who will English media blame when England get knocked out of Euro 2016? People are already setting Hodgson up. Yeah, Roy. Yeah, you know what? Hodgson will probably be his time. Potentially could be over after the tournament anyway, so I'm expecting people to to turn the blame to him. Um, there are people like um, uh, Greg Dyke who people will probably look to blame. Um, you, you might also say there's going to be some players in there that people are going to, really? but they all they'll also be quite a young squad, so there'll probably be people who um, who yeah, are almost blameless if you like because they're so young. Um, they may yeah. also look to blame the Premier League. They all may also look to blame our lack of planning over time. And then we'll do a series of articles about why Germany have got a great youth system and they chose to change theirs. And again, how we should do it, but probably won't. Um, Matthew Hayden says, one potential surprise name for the England Euro 2016 squad. I'd suggest, maybe it's not a surprise, seeing as he was in, uh, in, in the squad for the recent internationals. But I think Deli Ali, if he continues his form, would be a good shout to get in that squad. Do you not think, Dave? Definitely, yeah. Deli Ali showed some real promise for Spurs. But what about poor old Mark Noble, captain of West Ham? Mm, no. You know, he, he does all right. He, he does a job. Mm, He's a classic, no. like, He's a classic, like, everyone will get dead hype before the Euros. Everyone will be like, oh, wow, let's get Mark Noble and he'll run the show. <laughs> and he'll get there and he'll be absolutely toilet. But at least he got there. You know, fair play to Mark. I don't think he is in with any sort of shout whatsoever. Do you remember when I, I, I feel like I'm remembering this wrong because it seems ridiculous. But Sven Goran Eriksson took Theo Walcott to the world. For maybe the likes of Jordan Ive or something like that. But I just don't mm. think that he'll get in there because Walcott and Chamberlain are ahead of him. Um... I would. Do you remember when? Am I? I feel like I'm remembering this wrong because it seems ridiculous. But Sven Goran Eriksson took Theo Walcott to the World Cup. World Cup. He hadn't played to get to get experience. Experience. Another big tournament. He hadn't played a single Premier League game. Am I right? Yes. Yes. Imagine now. People say now. Imagine now. Deli Ali. Deli Ali. Played five or six games. Theo Walcott hadn't played a single game. 
No, not you. No, not you. Yeah. Great guy. Great guy. Adam. Adam. Young Matt. Young Matt. Zero two says. Hope you got that information on the SPL, Adam. I'm sorry to disappoint you. Adam, by the way. By the way. But I completely forgot. I can't believe it. Yeah, it's one job. One job. One job. I'm going to give two options. I'm going to give two options. Right. Right. Either you don't listen to the podcast anymore. No. I'll extend the invitation to Adam to come to on, come the on the podcast oh, next week if he if he DMs 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 Rangers though last 10 games won 10 in a row they've, they've right. played 9 games in the SPL in the Scottish you've Championship done your research, Dave, Dave you can't research. just go to the table Dave <laughs> you've done that's all I'm doing I'm just saying table stuff 31 goals in 9 games that's over 3 a game Rangers are smashing it Dave that is fantastic <laughs> Um, Cheers. One thing Cheers. I'm going to add to the... Adam doesn't need to come on anymore. I mean, Dave's what, yeah, don't bother me. No, 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 I want him on. Yeah. <laughs> one thing I am wondering about um, is, uh, can I just say we missed an England thing, which is really critical. Is do you know who's provided the most players to England now? Is it the mighty Tottenham Hotspur, Lawrence? It is the mighty Tottenham Hotspur, Adam. This season, or, or like in in history, are we talking? I don't know because I heard it in past. Oh, okay. and it's just a great thing to say. <laughs> Let's just assume it's both. I mean, yeah. You know. Why not? Um, we've got a question here from Jack, Mr. Mike Smalling on Twitter. And his, his avatar is Chris Smalling. Is he Chris Smalling's brother? or Probably, brother? yeah. Just yeah. so. some sort of awesome uh, sort of weird creation. He says, uh, who is actually the better manager? Klopp, Van Gaal or Pochettino? Um, uh, I'd say right now. I mean, we, the thing is, no one's We're even doing kicked that career. No one's even kicked a ball yet for for Liverpool under Van Gaal, yeah. under uh, Klopp, and everyone's like, "Oh, he, he's he's changed the club." Be like, if he's you, changed the perception for a week. Yeah, if you judge it in the past three, four years, you'd probably say Klopp, considering he's won the most in that time. But over the course of the career, Van Gaal's been very successful in a, in a number of different say, countries. Van over his career, internationally. Pochettino, yeah. obviously, is untested. Really, he hasn't uh, been at a, a top club for more than two seasons. I'm going to say Van Gaal, uh, mm. you know, yeah. because of safe. because of achievements. But uh, but in terms of best, could we go best? Not in terms of just achievements. Could we go sort of, um, you know, what? I think we, right now, I'd say right now, I think Klopp's a better manager than Van Gaal. But, mm. but Dave, that what's that going off though? Because remember the last season at Dortmund. Although you know he did turn yeah, it around. They, yeah, they, were bo- they were bottom of the league and they came seventh. It was incredible. Yeah, Quite but I mean, but but Honigstein, Raphael Honigstein himself was sort of saying, how much of an achievement is that? You know, it's really, a big it's, achievement considering the players that they lost over the last four years and the injuries yeah. he had that season. You know, he lacked both Piszczek and um, Smeltzer were pretty much out for the whole year. And you know how key they are to 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 Klopp's Dortmund side, the fullbacks were absolutely massive. And they're playing, you know, whoever was fit in those positions, like, you know, Kevin Grosskreutz played there for a bit, looked all right, and then went a bit dodged. So I think it was a bit unfair that season to judge Klopp on, but he did turn it around. Fair play to him. Yeah. I'm uh, interested to see what happens at Liverpool, not only for the next year, but mm. also for the next sort of 
three Five or four years. years. And then what happens after he leaves? Because it's difficult to replace someone like that. You know? um, Jack, Mr. Mike Smalling, is asked four other questions. In the interest of fairness, I'll only ask one more. But he, he's asked an interesting one. Um, who would be the English equivalent of Jurgen Klopp? There isn't one. Reddit can't do it. It's not, there's not an equivalent of Jurgen Klopp in England. I am uh, right Stuart to say Pace, I'm right Brendan to say that Rogers. no... No, he's not Brendan English. <laughs> he knows, no, no, uh, no, no English manager has ever won the Premier League, right? I'm right in saying that. Yeah, I think yeah. that's correct. So, obviously, there is no, there's no equivalent. Who's, um, who's the British equivalent? Um, it's difficult, that. Someone with really big balls. Exactly. They're just in an equivalent. Are you saying Alan Pardew's equivalent Jurgen Klopp? Yeah, I mean, that's the nearest comparison. What about Nigel Pearson? Absolute nutter. Yeah, but Klopp's not a nutter. Klopp isn't crazy. He's a charismatic, you know. He's almost so self aware that he he sort of knows, you know what I mean? Like, he knows. What about Eddie Howe, the next Jurgen Klopp? Maybe. Although Eddie Howe has other parallels, I would I would not say Eddie Howe motivates his players in the same way that Klopp looks to motivate his players. So, I think Klopp's a very unique looking case right now. And uh, that, that's why it's still such a coup. Abdullah Al Misnad says, "Who has been the most disappointing signing so far?" Um, Wayne Rooney. Oh, come on, uh, of the summer, of the summer, Dave. Um, <laughs> oh boy. There's been some, some good ones, some bad ones. Uh, oh, that is a great question, isn't it? I mean, oh, Roberto Firmino for me. Just because he, well, I mean, he's injured right now. It's a little bit harsh, but do you know what I mean? Yeah. What did you say about Connor Wickham? Put it out there. It's Quite a, a bit of cash. Is he injured? injured as, uh, yeah, injured. Not, not playing because he's injured. And actually, um, because Glenn Murray's gone, they're oh. quite excited to have him back. So, um, I think no. I've got it, lads. Yeah, come on. Did Eunice Kabul join Sunderland in the window, right? Oh, he is yeah. absolutely rubbish. He, well, also he's he's sort of going. Yeah, you think you're disappointed with me? Feel it the other way around, mate. Shakiri hasn't um, he hasn't set the world like yet, Stoke. Um, I think yeah. there was a lot of hype around him, so maybe it's unfair that you know to, to judge him based on those expectations, but. That's what a flop is in many ways. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, let, you know, let's hope he's not a Jurgen flop. Oh, Ooh. stop it. Next question. We've got four questions from Piotr. Piotr? Yep. Peter. Yep. Gala. Yep. And I'm gonna yep. I'm gonna ask three of them very quickly because he said, This is my absolute favourite podcast. I look forward to it every week. Love you guys. Free, At the ramble, yellow I've got a heart shapes. For... <laughs> I, that's very nice of you to say. So you've got yourself a few questions oh. here. Um, he says, how far do you reckon Poland will make it in Euro 2016? Can they surprise like Greece did? Having watched that game against Republic of Ireland the other night, I don't think they were massively impressive, Poland. I think although they have got one of, if not the best striker in the world at the moment, they don't have a massive amount of quality throughout that team. But fantastic fans. Polskia Biavacervoni means Poland in the red and white. Oh, that's nice, Lawrence. He's also asking thoughts on Portugal's and Wales' chances in the Euros. (laughs) Uh, And who do you have taking it all? Uh, Portugal, um, again, similar to Wales, almost 
they're reliant on their star player in many ways. I Wales think it's going to be very interesting to see, isn't it? I, to be honest, I think Wales are going to get done. Really? Think you think Wales are going to get done? See what happens to Albania, man. <laughs> I think okay. Portugal though that's that I think Portugal could be the surprise package of the tournament mm. um, you know the likes of Bernard Silva and then William Carvalho who's probably one of the best young defensive midfielders in world football coming back from his leg breaks just returned to first team football they've got some really talented players and if you can blend that with the likes of CR7 you're on to an absolute winner there they've got some you know they won the they, they win the 21s or did they come second they did well in the under-21 tournament over the summer. So they've got some players coming through and, you know, they could do all right. Who do you think is going to win the whole thing then? The, the, the obvious candidates at the moment are going to be, you know, Germany, France, Spain. Anyone anyone else that's in with a shout of winning the entire thing? I don't think England is really England? up there. Um, good, good question. Uh, not everyone's fully... I, I think an outside shout would be the Netherlands. Um, <laughs> Extreme but message. that's... Very outside. <laughs> well, yeah. Uh, what about Argentina and Brazil? They'd probably do all right, wouldn't they? Kyle Lafferty seems to think they're <laughs> they're competing, doesn't he? So you're like, was that a joke or was he just like? Yeah, no, no, it was a gag. It was a gag. I think it was a big gag. I just can't. It was be just sure. banter, wasn't it? That's just banter. Yeah. yeah. Um, I reckon I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna go for France. I reckon France could go all the way. Yes, they got a great squad, and this is their time, uh, especially at home. Yes, exactly. I mean, bear in mind. Czech Republic did top their group in a difficult group. Mm. They top their group. So it goes Czech Republic, Iceland, Turkey, Netherlands, Kazakhstan, Latvia. So that's, but there's three difficult, get, I mean, four difficult games in there because Kazakhstan are actually, mm. you know, a challenging team. Um, as well, Latvia. But, but I mean, the, my point would be that's a very difficult group and we saw Czech Republic go through from it. It's not, it's not a terrible shout to say Czech Republic could do something this year. Final. They did, they did just beat, they just beat Netherlands 3-2, but I remember. Just um, final question this week uh, that we've got time for is from Harry Fisher, and he says, "Who are your favourite players still playing? Not necessarily the greatest, you know. So your favourites. Uh, mm-hmm. Harry's favourite is Didier Drogba, tearing it up uh, for Montreal oh. Impact at the moment in MLS. I um, I have uh, allegiances dating a, a Kosovan uh, Albanian, um, someone who has their allegiances." Uh, and obviously there is a, a really intricate history, which can't be run down very quickly, um, in the uh, in that area of the world between, well, everyone that used to be uh, what was known as you know Yugoslavia, and uh, there there have been some very aggressive things going on in the area. Serbia was a particularly aggressive country at one time to the people around them, and recently Albania qualified from their group just behind Portugal, having. Done some pretty impressive things in the group. Granted, they got one one as one as almost a gimme because because of the the goals that they got because of the match which was uh, put off between them and Serbia. Um, but then at the same time, uh, they they did some very impressive things. And uh, you know, there's there's a lot to speak about in that area to do with a Serbia having to play Albania. I mean, if you talk about what is essentially genocide in an area, and then you have to play someone in football. Not long after that, that's a pretty incredible story in the first place on a human side and also on a footballing side. We've seen how that manifests on the football pitch. We saw the comments just the other day from Sana. I think it's Sana. It might be kind of, I think it's Sana. And he basically said, um, you know, they may have beaten us at home, but we'll be the ones uh, playing in France and they'll be watching us at home um, sipping on their beer or something like that. And so there's still a sort of a very 
raw, very tense uh, kind of feeling there in the area. There's a lot of journalists that are writing about it right now. I think Copper 90 have just been out there. So there's something to watch on their channel to go and see. Um, and at the same time, it is a completely different culture, which, uh, you know, most people listening to the podcast probably have no idea about. Um because there are so many people all over the world who come from different cultures. And that's what I don't you guys love that about international football. You end up discovering so much about other people, uh, so much about other fans. And before it was literally just, aren't those guys quirky? Hmm. Uh, you know, so that the coverage would be, look at the funny foreigners. And now there is such more insight. <laughs> no, it was like, it was just literally, well, you know, Oh, baguettes, France, oh, the... oh, Germany drinking beer and boobs. And you're like, you know, it's not the That's same. That's a great combo. Well, what was the si- Lawrence? What was the situation that happened last year when this all sort of came to the forefront? Well, there was a a guy who flew um, a drone into a stadium holding uh, the the national flag, uh, and he was Albanian himself. And this was between Albania and Serbia, and it was basically a protest against you know what happened in the area, and it was pulled down. And then the guy pretty much ran for his life. And there have been a lot of interesting articles over the past week to do with that as well, um, which basically have said. You know, he was somewhat of a national hero because he was putting the interests of a country first, but he had to run away from, you know, essentially Serbian hitmen, killers, those kind of things. Um, and there's a fascinating story to be told there about a guy who comes across as a, you know, and is painted as a pretty crazy guy. But actually, um, when you look at nationalism and what it means in those areas, you know, viewing it from the outside, it, it looks like something that could be fairly trivial. But I think when you're there, it's actually very important. I think that's maybe the, the difference here is that, you know, we're looking at the European Championships and most people think, oh, European Championships, are, you know, a place that's settled. But, you know, Ukraine is essentially uh, annexed by Russia. What used to be Yugoslavia, which is now a lot of different countries all with their own national identity, are all coming through themselves. Not only Albania have qualified, but also um, there's there's the Kosovans in that side who won't get the chance to ever play for Kosovo. Um, and then there are obviously there's Kosovo coming through itself, which it will, hopefully will soon be recognised as its own nation. So there's a lot of um, interesting. I mean, this is the differences. Do we talk about it from a a, um, a case study perspective where we go? Oh, that's fascinating. Or do we talk about it from a human perspective? Because from a human perspective, you know, Shakiri is an interesting one. You mentioned him earlier. Essentially, someone who could have played for Kosovo doesn't now because he that was never the opportunity was never given to him. Um, and so it's sort of forcing people to engage with politics, which is interesting in the first place because they have to look at where borders lie. They have to look at what the people are like from the area. They have to look at why someone wants to play for Kosovo ahead of, say, Switzerland or another place like that. So there's a lot of things to be mixed in there. And it is maybe not something that three white guys on a podcast can cover with <laughs> fairly privileged background and don't um, probably know a lot about the area. But I think in the small time that I've seen it, it's become so much more... Um, than just a sort of, oh, isn't that funny, you know? Uh, and I think the English press and other press are beginning to take these things more seriously now. And I think in the future, it's going to, it, it's almost going to change the way that we have to approach our internationals because I think a, a national identity is changing. And you do wonder uh, how when you come up against somewhere like Kosovo or somewhere like Albania in the Euros, what that's going to offer to them in terms of the armour that they take. Because, you know, you come up with England, which has got this, hugely mixed up identity thanks to its own history against someone like Albania who are obviously a very mix of people and have to please a lot of people but have a very different national identity 
And so I think this summer's Euros are going to be a really interesting, not only football side, but I'm probably gone on already too long, but it's going to be a really interesting mix of a sociology class and um, football, essentially. And I imagine there's going to be a lot of lazy conclusions made by a lot of people, but somewhere in there, hopefully there'll be an interesting conversation about where international football is going and who it ends up representing. And I'm really excited to see Albania and a couple of other smaller nations um, you know, representing themselves. Knew, you said I'd make I it interesting. I knew you could. I would be interested to see if anyone out there is... is... In championships, most people think, oh, European championships, are, you know, a place that's settled. But, you know, Ukraine is essentially uh, annexed by Russia. What used to be Yugoslavia, which is now a lot of different countries, all with their own national identity, are all coming through themselves. Not only Albania have qualified, but also um, there's, the, there's the Kosovans in that side who won't get the chance to ever play for Kosovo. Um, and then there are obviously there's Kosovo coming through itself, which it will, hopefully will soon be recognised as its own nation. So there's a lot of um, interesting... I mean, this is the differences. Do we talk about it from a, a, um, a case study perspective where we go, oh, that's fascinating, or do we talk about it from a human perspective? Because from a human perspective, you know, Shakiri is an interesting one. You mentioned him earlier. Essentially, someone who could have played for Kosovo doesn't now because he that was never the opportunity was never given to him um and so it's sort of forcing people to engage with politics which is interesting in the first place because they have to look at where borders lie they have to look at what the people are like from the area they have to look at why someone wants to play for kosovo ahead of say switzerland or another place like that so there's a lot of things to be mixed in there and it is maybe not something that three white guys on a podcast can cover <laughs> with fairly privileged background and don't um probably know a lot about the area but i think in the small time that i've seen it it's become so much more um than just a sort of oh isn't that funny you know uh and i think the english press and other press are beginning to take these things more seriously now and i think in the future it's gonna it, it's almost going to change the way that we have to approach our internationals because i think a, a national identity is changing and you do wonder uh how when you come up against somewhere like kosovo or somewhere like albania in the Euros, what that's going to offer to them in terms of the armour that they take. Because, you know, you come up with England, which has got this hugely mixed up identity, thanks to its own history, against someone like Albania, who are obviously a very mix of people and have to please a lot of people, but have a very different national identity. And so I think this summer's Euros are going to be a really interesting, not only football side, but I'm probably gone on already too long, but it's going to be a really interesting mix of a sociology class and um football essentially and i imagine there's going to be a lot of lazy conclusions made by a lot of people but somewhere in there hopefully there'll be an interesting conversation about where international football is going and who it ends up representing and i'm really excited to see albania and a couple of other smaller nations um you know representing themselves knew, you said i'd make I it, you could make it I tried, interesting but i, I, I knew I, you could you could i, knew you I would be that. interested to see if anyone out there is listening from Albania or from the, you know, the region. I was even listening at this point. Thanks for not turning off. We, uh, according to the stats, um, <laughs> there's no listeners from Albania in the top 50. Okay. But if, if you are out there and you're listening from Albania, tweet us. Let us know what you made of what Lawrence is saying there. You know, the, the fact you guys have qualified for Euro 2016, which is no mean feat. I mean, what's the population of Albania? Two, three million? Something like that? Uh, uh, Tiny. Let me... Let me have a look. The population of Albania is 2.7 million. Crazy. So, yeah. Um, yeah. 
Um, but yeah, massive achievement. If you are listening out from Albania, tweet us. Put it this way, it's also at a time where, you know, there are countries like Greece who are obviously feeling quite annexed from Europe. Ukraine politically being annexed from Europe, and I saw that firsthand as well when I went to Poland, Ukraine during the Euros, the last set of Euros, which was fascinating. Um, there's there's a lot that's happening in, in Europe, and we don't, we don't recognise that. Uh, and, you know, it's probably very beneficial that it's in France for a lot of these countries. But it's interesting that there are countries, I mean, Greece crashed out of this tournament, having been so disparate and terrible. And we remember what they were like just a few years ago. So there are some fascinating stories there that I think a lot of people will probably want to tell in the, in the coming months. Um, and with a little bit more research, I imagine we'd be able to tell some of them. But I think the, the Albania story itself is a really fascinating one. Probably one that I'm not qualified to speak on alone. But I think it's a good it's a it's a good start at least. I'd say go out and read about it because it's you know there's so many interesting things to find. I think that was a good introduction to the. Uh... It was a start. Yeah, I'll go again do some reading about it. But, um, on that note, that was episode twenty seven. Thank you very much for listening. If you have any comments, questions, or suggestions, tweet us at the front three on Twitter. I'm looking forward to hearing from Adam. DM us. We want to hear about the SPL uh, on next week's episode. Until then, though. Dave, where can the good people, where can the whole find more of your work? Well, probably on Twitter, I'd say, Adam. You know, it's a good place to find is young it, people in the world. Is it S-Q-U-A-W-K-A-D-A-V-E? Is that it? That is, that's correct, Adam. That is correct. Thank and you. Is it L-O-Z-C-A-S-T? Lawrence? And try your best, Adam. Um, how do you do your Twitter handle? Uh, A-D-A-M-B-O-U-L-T would. That's how you do it. Uh, Adam Is that W-O-U-L-D? Yeah, why not? Uh, until next time, thank you for listening. All right. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 